prayed and just want spirit to move in this place and teach us what he has from his words. So let's bow our heads and let's pray for God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And we just pray, God, that you would come in power right now, that you would convict, that you would move us to look more like Christ, and then you would move us out of here to be Christ to our world. God, we love you. We thank you. We, we acknowledge, God, that you want to give us wisdom. So we ask for it today as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the last 40 weeks leading up to today, we have been preaching through the book of Acts, and we finished last Sunday, and it was a lot of fun. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I experienced a lot of formation, which we'll talk about a little more in just a moment, um, through that 40 weeks. I experienced God doing things in my heart that were making me hopefully more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think that 40 weeks ago when we started and opened up Acts chapter 1 to when we got to Acts chapter 28 that my heart and my mind were hopefully more conformed to Christ than they were at the beginning. And I'm hoping this next series does that for us as well. So we're going to do seven weeks in the book of Proverbs. Now, um, we're not going to preach the whole book. We've chosen seven major themes from the book of Proverbs to preach through. And today we start with this, this real basic idea of a desire for wisdom. If you're not familiar with the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs is a wisdom literature. In other words, it's supposed to give us wisdom and insight how to best live this life, right? And so oftentimes what you'll find is people will take the Proverbs and then they love their favorites, right? You've got your favorite Proverbs and you quote that one over and over and it finds itself on some pillows at grandma's house, that type of thing, right? And so you love certain Proverbs, but they have to be read in totality, right? They have to be understood through the lens of man. It's trying to craft an entire idea. You are not supposed to develop hard doctrine off of a single Proverb, right? You're not supposed to say, okay, well, this is clear. Because if you do that, you're going to find that some of the Proverbs have not, not contradiction, but push up and have tension between each other, but are supposed to be understood as a whole. And so we're going to do our best over the next seven weeks to kind of preach through those realities and how God desires that the people of God would be wise in their effort to love and serve the world. Now, the subtitle to our series is, uh, and if we have that little thing, do we have that thing? The graphic? Yeah. Wisdom, Proverbs, Wisdom in Dizzying Times. Now, let me break down kind of that subtitle to you, if I would. So dizzying times, this essentially means that when we look out into our world, it's just kind of dizzy and blurry, right? Like, it just seems to be a bit of a mess. That, that as you, after you hear over and over and over all the news of, of just the breakdowns that we experience in culture right now, where it seems that there's more division amongst people than, than in years past, that there's, there's more hurt, that, that truth in and of itself is often debated, okay? And, and so for those who want to sit back and kind of look upon the world, it just seems a bit blurry. It doesn't seem as it should be. It seems dizzying in the midst of it. That when you open up, and, or you open up your newspaper, which none of you do, but when you uh, like turn on the news channel or you go on the internet and you begin to read story after story after story of the creation now groaning probably for redemption, Right, that as you look upon them, we hear fires in Northern California. We hear hurricane after hurricane after hurricane decimating the eastern seaboard and all of the islands in the Caribbean. Right, we, we hear of earthquakes in various places. We hear of wars and rumors of wars. These, these things that we just look upon the world and we're like, man, it's, it's just kind of a mess. Like there's, there's brokenness, there's pain. It's how do we make sense of a world that is kind of spinning in such a way as we see it? We can understand that even internally, man, we just... I don't know if sometimes I feel like we've lost our way. That even internally our hearts crave things that's just foolishness for us to crave. That relationships seem to be downgraded, right? 
uh, that, that you can find intimacy by a quick swipe left or right. I don't know which direction you're supposed to go for that. But whatever is I want that person, that direction, that's how you get intimacy now. Right? Like, like we've now, technology, all of these things I think have brought about a world that's just kind of confusing. It's a bit dizzy. And so that's the times that we experience. And my little son, Finley, he's three years old. And I remember very, vague, or very clearly the very first time that he got dizzy, right? And so he was like one and a half maybe. He had just kind of learned to walk, maybe two. And he starts spinning around in our backyard. Now, uh, what happens when, when you spin? You get dizzy, right? And stuff starts looking a little blurry, a little hazy. And I remember my son, and I'm not going to do it, but he spins around a bunch of times. And there was this moment where all of a sudden he stopped and he looks around, and his viewpoint and his vantage point on the world is unlike anything he had ever seen before, right? Because it used to be clear, and all the colors made sense, and he could walk straight. And now this poor two-year-old saw blurry, saw spinning, and then fell over, right? And so as a, any good parent, I laughed first, okay? And then I went and picked up my son and tried to explain to him in terror of what has just happened to his worldview, Right? Like he, because he's just spinning, right? And he doesn't know what to do with this new reality of like, what just happened to me? And how does he now live in this new reality? When he's dizzy and spinning, what does it look like for him to live his life? Okay, now luckily that goes away after about a minute and then he's back to normal. But in the midst of the dizzying experience, it's tough for him to function. Now, I was also recently watching the figure skating championships because I like any competition, Okay. And that's impossible. So I don't know how people do what they do on figure skates. I can't do it in shoes. And so um, if you notice, right, they get into these tight spins where like their arms end up up here and then they spin around like it seems like 50 times, right? And then they come out of it and what do they do? They're like, you know, and just, and just floating on ice. And I'm like, man, if I had just spun around 50 times, I would be on my tail on the ice. But instead, right, they have become so accustomed to the spinning that they don't even notice that it's crazy, right? They've become so accustomed to, to this kind of craziness of spinning that fast that the world doesn't move that way anymore. Now, here's where I think wisdom and the church and the Bible kind of come in here. And I think this is what God is calling the church to, is to not live in this reality of a two-year-old who's spinning and knows no, not which, which, which right way to look or act. And I think he's also not calling us to be so used to the spinning that it's not a big deal. That I think the church and Christians are meant to kind of live in this middle tension, right? Where we say, man, the world is absolutely crazy, but man, it's okay because there's a father that's in control, right? But it's also not, it's just so crazy that, man, I'm going to freak out a little bit. And to have this tension between, man, the world is messed up, but God's in control. And so insert wisdom and the church to be his light to the world. And I, and I think this is kind of the reality of where this book comes in. Because the realities of when it was written, King Solomon would have had a fairly contentious uh, reign where things were going really well, but internally there was a ton of mess. In his life there was a ton of mess. And so he's trying to navigate, how do I employ wisdom to lead this kingdom and lead my life? And the same questions I think come with us as well. So um, wisdom, if that's dizzying times, wisdom, Webster's Dictionary defines wisdom as this. The soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. In other words, like, do what you're supposed to do. Like, do what you know to be true. Right? 
the other day, my son and I, we were driving, and I was just angry about something. And I literally was just trying to remember all week what it was that I was angry about, and I could not, for the sake of me, remember. It could have been anything from, like, the injustice that exists in the world today to that guy didn't wave when I let him in, right? Like, it could be somewhere on that spectrum of things that I was frustrated about. And I knew that, like, man, you're so angry now, the answer to this is to pray and to worship, right? Like, it was like, go to God with your frustration and your anger or whatever I had going on. But I start this wrestle internally, saying, man, I... I, I know worship, right? I know if I turn the music on, it's going to uplift my soul. Uh, I, I know that I'll be reframed into a right reality instead of the anger and frustration that exists, but I choose not to, right? I, I, I think, you know what? I'm just gonna stay in my anger. I don't wanna deal with this. And so I leave the radio off uh, and, and I don't turn it to anything that would be uplifting and remind me of the gospel. And then all of a sudden, out of a little voice in my back seat, my little son says, Daddy, can you turn on some worship music, Right? Like literally like 10 seconds later, right? And I look back and I'm just like so angry at him now. I'm just like, come on, man. Like, why are you listening to the spirit of God, you know? And so I was like, all right, well, what do you want to listen to? And he says, he says, uh, need you. Now, and I know need you means Lord, I need you, which is one of his favorite songs that we sing every night. And so I was like, all right, Lord, so you want me in my frustration and anger even though I know, listening to Lord, I need you, be the best for me, I want to reject that, so you're going to use my three-year-old son to bring conviction, and so we turn on Lord, I need you, and if you know that song, it's like, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, and so we turn on that song, and then goodness and joy just overwhelm my soul, thing. and so and here's why I bring up that example, because wisdom is truly just knowing what you know to be true and applying it well. And I think far too often, even in a moment like that, I choose foolishness instead of wisdom. Wisdom's going to say, listen, man, you know what's best for your soul. Just do it. But I'm going to choose foolishness. Uh, I'm going to choose to reject that which I know to be true and good for me, for my own personal gain, for my own whatever, right? Because I want to feel a certain way. Wisdom is going to constantly push against that reality over the next seven weeks as it tells us, no, man, don't do that. Which leads me to my last point before we jump into the text. And it's just the question that I ask myself all the time, and it comes back to this formation piece that we experience through 40 weeks in the book of Acts. And the question is simply like, are we in this game? Do we show up here on Sundays for formation or for information? Right, like do we come to this place so that we can just learn some stuff, right? Get more knowledge. Because if you show up here just for information, listen, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. It's good for you to gain knowledge about what the Bible says, about what people are thinking. That's, that's all good stuff. But if it's just for information, friends, I'm telling you, we're lacking. Because the Bible calls us to formation, right? The Bible calls us to, man, I want to transform you into the image of Jesus. And so if you show up here every week, if you go to a small group, if you open up your word every day or whatever you do, and you do it just for the sake of I want more knowledge, I want a mental ascent to God, and not to be changed from the inside out by the power of his spirit, that you would look more like Christ. If you're not seeking formation, you're missing the main point. And so church, I mean, my hope is, is that, again, over the next seven weeks, we wouldn't just learn what a bunch of Proverbs say. We wouldn't just get some new wisdom. But, man, that we would apply it, right? We would actually live it and be formed by the word of God. Amen? Can we kind of covenant with each other to try and aim for that? So let's open up our text um, to uh, Proverbs chapter 9. And what happens in this proverb 
uh, is a juxtaposition or contrast between lady wisdom and lady folly, right? And it's kind of this, this very Shakespearean language, very poetic type of reality where they're going to contrast these two with the main goal of just telling you wisdom is better than foolishness, right? Which any of us with a clear head right now, if we're just sitting here, would say, yeah, I would choose wisdom over foolishness when though oftentimes in our life we find that our actions actually say the latter. Right? It, oftentimes, you know, we, we know this to be good and true, but we go this direction anyway. And so um, we're going to start off with their descriptions in verses 1 through 3. It describes Lady Wisdom, and I'll read as Shakespeare would have read it. So I'm kidding, I'm not going to do that, but here we go. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. And so again, this is very kind of like, it's giving us this image, right, of who this woman is, who this wisdom is. And it's one of strength and of honor and of integrity, right? It's this movement to say, you know, wisdom is this type of woman, right? Where, where she goes out and she calls and leads her servants to say, you know, go to, the, go to the masses, go to the down and invite them to the banquet that we are putting on. Like come and experience that which we have uh, set up for the town, right? It says that she is active and busy and engaged, right? That it's involved, it's not just aloof. Now, these realities are contrasted then in verses 13 through 15, so look down in your Bibles a little bit, the contrast with folly and its description. Verse 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. So, so in, in, in like intentional contrast, the way that this psalm is, or the, sorry, this proverb is structured is meant to intentionally contrast these against one another. And so whereas Lady Wisdom is busy and engaged and leading, right? You, you, get, wis, or you get folly that rather sits on a stoop and yells from afar, Right? That, that isn't do, taking care of its business, but it's just assuming and presuming and yelling upon the masses. No, no as I thought through this, like honestly for me, the imagery that was conjured up was like, like me in high school being like a jerk and a catcalling guy, right? Like, and, and if you're a lady here, you know this experience, right? Of the guy who is just kind of sitting back as you walk by and start saying things he shouldn't say, right? Th- that's the way this feels as I hear this. It's like this, this catcaller of like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like from a distance, there's no engagement, there's no care, there's no desire to actually get to know anyone, but there's this, no, no, hey, come and listen to me. Come, come and hear what I have with no care for the other person. And that's, that's what foolishness provides to you and I. It's gonna sound good, like the, the words might be like positive words, if you will, but they're empty, hollow, and not worth the time. So that's the first one. The second one is going to be an invitation from both of these in verses 4 and 5 and 16 and 17. Let's read them together. This one from Wisdom. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. That's Wisdom. Now Folly says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now, Now listen. Both wisdom and folly, okay, and day to day, like as you walk through your life, every decision, these two will be calling out to you, 
right? They will be wooing you and saying, hey, come and listen to me, simple, right? Come and listen to me and what I have for you. Do what I want you to do. So when I was last week down in Phoenix, we went to Last Chance because that's what we do. I've talked about that before. And uh, so we're down at Last Chance and just across the street is an In-N-Out, right? Now, has everyone, anyone ever been within like 200 yards of an In-N-Out? It's delightful, right? Like the aroma just fills the entire atmosphere within like a 500-yard radius of In-N-Out. And it woos you and beckons you to come enjoy a double-double with whole grilled onions, okay? No tomatoes. Extra sauce, okay? Um, animal style fries. Focus. Okay. Um, it, it literally beckons you, like, come and enjoy, Right? Like, this is the reality. So when you are walking through your day today and a decision has come before you, I'm telling you right now that there is wisdom that is wooing you and saying, man, no, do it my way, and it is enticing. And then you have folly that is doing the exact same thing and enticing you to go its direction. That every day you walk through this world, you are going to be confronted with decisions where you have two competing stories and wooers for your affection, your trust, your hope, and your decision. And oftentimes I think the way we operate is if just know that, that whatever's going on, the first flinch that comes to my heart, that must be the right one. No, that's never true. Okay? You have to understand and work through the reality that at all times there's going to be this reality of a battle between God and flesh right, spirit and flesh, between good and evil, right, like these are just the realities of the world, which way will we walk is the question that, we, that the book of Proverbs provides for us, over and over and over pointing us to the way of wisdom, doing which we know to be true, and if you're here and you're a Christian, man, the Bible is full of our truth, and so really wisdom says walk in the ways of God, walk in the ways of Scripture, don't buy into the lies of the world and of culture that would distract and destroy the truth that the gospel brings. Okay, these are the debates that we have to have. Now, when I was in college, um, my buddy James and I, we had this desire to like, we had spent a lot of time getting to know some people down at kind of the, like the homeless area of downtown San Diego. And if you've ever been down there, like K and 10th, right? Like there's this, Right over there, there was this abandoned supermarket and a lot of the homeless would just go and live there in all these tents and they would just kind of surround this whole area. Um, and so we'd go down there and just spend a lot of, as much time as we could getting to know those guys, serve those guys, bless those guys, uh, and ladies. So when I say guys, men and women, right? And so we'd get down there and we'd spend time with the men and women that live there. Um, and we realized, and we didn't get to know them all that well. And so we thought, man, we need to go kind of the next step. And so what we did is we actually said, you know, we're going to move down there for a week, Okay. Uh, which, like, in here, we're like gung-ho, we're going to change the world. College students are like, this is going to be the best thing ever, and they're going to love it. And so um, we went down there, and we asked, the, we asked the homeless guys, we said, hey, is this a, this is a good idea, man? We, we want to know you better. We want to know what your life is like. We want to know what you experience day to day. And they kind of just laughed at us. They said, yeah, man, do whatever you want, you know. And so me and my buddy James, we moved in, and we lived there for a week, okay? Uh, and we just set up tents, and we just hung out with these guys day in and day out just so that we can learn a little bit about more about what their experience was. Now, hear me, I fully understand that that was a very limited view, and we knew that in seven days we were gone, right? So it is not the same thing, but we wanted to catch a glimpse of their life. And then this one day, all of a sudden, some friends, we didn't realize they were friends, some people walk up at first, and they end up being people from our church, right? Which was funny, because then they're like, why are you guys here, you know? Like, you live here now? Like, that's, that's different, you know? 
Uh, and so we said, hey, is, yeah, well, actually, you know, this is what we're doing and whatever, and that's what's going on. But they had come down, and they had invited, like, the whole group, and there's probably, like, 60, 70 of us sitting there, to come and enjoy this feast at the church downtown at the local Presbyterian church, you know. And, uh, and it was funny talking to the guys about the difference, and hear me, this is not a critique on your ministry if you go and you give out a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's you, do you, dude. But the difference between the handing out of a peanut butter jelly sandwich for all the guys that we were spending time with and the invitation to come to this massive feast that we were going to go spend time together with them at this local church that they could walk to and have consistent relationship with were night and day, right? As we began to ask the guys, we said like, hey man, is this like a good thing? You guys They're like, this is amazing. Like we're excited about this. There was a movement and desire. We feel more loved in this area. And, And here's what wisdom is doing. Wisdom's inviting you to a feast, right? Folly's gonna give you a quick handout. Like, like folly is going to temporarily seem like the best thing because it's gonna be quick, it's gonna be easy, and it will satisfy that initial craving in your heart and in your mind and in your soul. But it is such a lack in comparison to what wisdom has to offer, which is a true feast to come and partake of, to walk in the ways of the Lord, to do what you know to be true. And I guarantee you, again, every day you will be wooed to still choose folly, to still choose the way of the world. Every single day you're going to be wooed to do that. And I'm telling you, that might seem self-gratifying for the moment, but it will not satisfy because the feast is far better. Okay? And so let's look at a couple more juxtapositions and contrasts that they have, and then we'll wrap up. Um, in, this la- in this kind of middle part of this, uh, this proverb in chapter 9, it gives us kind of this midterm. It gives kind of a test to say, hey, if, if you're curious, like, do you desire wisdom? Are you wise? You seek that out. It gives kind of some, a little litmus test for how to decide if we are. And so it says this in verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So it gives these kind of, kind of uh, examples of these conversations and questions that would go back and forth intentionally. And it's meant to kind of point out, man, do you desire wisdom? Do you seek wisdom? Are you wise? And there's two main questions that then it brings to us. And that first question is, do you desire wisdom? And if you're not sure, then question two is, well, how do you respond to correction, right? So, so when someone comes to you and then corrects you, right, and let's be honest, when we're corrected, we know whether or not we're right or wrong. And you just are just, right, defensive or not. And so the really the answer, sorry, the question is, um, when someone comes to reprove you or correct you or set you straight, do you, one, respond with defensiveness and attack? Because if you do, you're a fool, okay? Um, or do you respond with repentance, grace, and thanksgiving? I'm asking you, like, and I'm not going to ask you to respond right now by a show of hands or anything, but, but just think about that. If it's your best friend, if it's your spouse, if it's your roommate, if it's your children, if it's your parents, whoever it may be, if it's your coworker, your boss, if they come to you and say, hey, man, like, that's wrong. You, this is the way this, this is supposed to happen, right? Or, uh, you know, your wife comes to you, as she often does to me, and says, hey, Vince, like, you're, you're dropping the ball here. Like, I don't feel and loved, right? I can either then take that critique and say, no, that's not true, and here's why, and then defend myself, and then come back at her and say, no, no, you're the one, actually, that doesn't love, right? I can do that. That's foolishness. 
Or she can come to me and say, Vince, I'm not experiencing love for you right now. And I can say, dang, man, that's, that breaks my heart. How do I do a better job? Right? So what do you do? At least most of the time, what do you do? When your closest friends, when your family, when they say, that's, that's not right. When, when a friend calls you out in sin, say, man, that's sin, what are you doing? When, when a friend tells you, you shouldn't be doing that, you shouldn't be part of that do you respond with defensiveness and attack or do you respond with thanksgiving and repentance and there's a very easy test to know whether or not you're, you're being foolish or you're being wise okay. and, and then Lord choose wisdom okay. that's going to be the constant desire throughout the rest of this um, the biggest one that happens all the time for me is it just happened the other day Verity was like hey man like, we'll drive together and I, I do it way less than I used to, but it's confession right now, and, and maybe this will be the last time just by telling all you guys you can hold me accountable, but then I'll text and drive at times, right? And it's just like, that's, it's just foolish. Like, there's literally no reason to be doing that whatsoever. Like, not a single reason to be doing that. For all of, there's all these terrible reasons to not be doing it, and yet I am a fool because I'll still do it, right? It's abs- there's no evidence, there's nothing to support my claim. Although I will get defensive when she says, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't been in an accident my entire life. I'm a great driver. You know, that type of thing. And that cares not. So, so again, what do you choose? Okay. Now, um, here's where the gospel comes in. And this is kind of where we're going to land before the last couple verses. Because as we look upon the whole landscape of how all this stuff can shake out, right? But I mean, how do, how do we ultimately choose wisdom? It's not always easy. And day to day when those decisions come, man, like, folly yells pretty loudly and has a pretty good case to make sometimes. And so how do we see wisdom as something even more beautiful and more worth anything that folly could bring? And I think it's by seeing that wisdom is truly embodied in Jesus. Okay. So 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 31 says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, ready, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Verse 10 of Proverbs 9 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. If we want to be wise people, it has to start with Jesus. Like if it's just this like, you know what, I really want to be wise, so I'm going to really try and just be wise. I'm going to try harder to make better decisions. And you do so without falling in love with Jesus. It's not going to last. Because Jesus is wisdom. He is the full embodiment of wisdom. And a fear of him, an understanding of him, a love for him, a seeing the world through his eyes, hearing the world through his ears, understanding the world through his heart is is wisdom. It's how we continually pursue this, is falling more in love with Christ. That will make us wise. Because as he becomes greatly the Lord and King of your life, folly's voice gets turned down a little bit and wisdom's voice gets a little bit louder. Okay. And that is, that, like every day, my desire and my hope would be that voice gets a bit louder in my head than the others. Okay. And that I would choose him in every way. And then we land here with verses 
11, 12, and 18, this final juxtaposition about where each of these invitations will lead from wisdom and folly. From wisdom, it says, for me, for by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it, right? So life is brought from wisdom. In verse 18, though, folly says, but he who does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. See that pursuing folly leads to death. Life and death are at juxtaposition and contrast. Choose wisdom, get life. Choose foolishness and folly and get death. This is the reality of these two things that constantly woo us. And what we'll do over the next six weeks after today is we're going to look at these massive buckets of culture and massive buckets of our hearts and of life. We're going to deal with some sin and we're going to really talk through, man, what, how does wisdom speak to this issue and how does folly try and woo you into this decision and what is the right way? And every time we're going to come back to it's Jesus who allows us to hear wisdom louder and choose the right way. So James 1.5, we land with this last verse. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And so let's pray now and just ask the Lord to make us wise through the presence of his son, through the power of his spirit that lives inside of us. And all those that are here that don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, I just want to ask you, man, ask Jesus to be yours, okay? To, to just think through that. And that's not like run up here. That's not just, it, I just mean I want you to consider, maybe if you've never considered that before, what it means to follow Jesus with your whole life. And that's what it is, man. It's everything. That's why we're, we're getting so hard after it as a church this morning and we want to see constantly God refining us here in the book of Proverbs is because there's a heavy calling to the church to what does it mean to be wise people that serve the kingdom of God. Amen.